Again, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online or on the podcast. Uh, we are continuing a series that we started a while back, and we took a couple, break, couple, couple of weeks off for a break, and uh, the series is called Connecting with God. Today's passage may seem like a strange one to talk about connecting with God, and you're just going to have to give me some time to get there, but I think by the end of the sermon you'll see. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Let me, just a brief overview of what's happening here. Jesus is speaking to John, and he's telling John to write to certain churches a letter. And each church gets a letter from Jesus saying, this is what's going on, this is what I see, this is what you should do. This letter is to the church in Laodicea. And we're going to be reading this um, together. So this is God's word from Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, that's a great prayer to start with. Cause us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Show us Jesus. Show us our need for Jesus. And cause our hearts to break over sin and to know the goodness of this hospitality and love and care that you show us in the good news of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So if you haven't picked up on it already, we're going to be talking about repentance today. And I know that's no one's favorite subject, and I recognize that for some of you, talking about how we need to repent may put me in the same category as this guy. If you can see that picture. 
You know, the guy that you meet on the street that has the sandwich board and says, repent or perish. He's got the megaphone and he's telling you all about your sins. And you're like, oh, this is so awful. But I want you to, I want you to hear this. As a follower of Christ and one called to preach in his name, I have an obligation. And that obligation is to talk about the things that are important to Jesus. And according to the scriptures, repentance is important to Jesus. Did you know that? When you think about Jesus, repentance should be at least part of what you're thinking of because Jesus began his whole ministry. Matthew chapter 4 tells us, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, his sermons could be summarized as repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or think about Jesus summarizing his whole ministry and he says in Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus isn't, a, isn't about coming and saying, oh, you're righteous, come be a part of my crew. No, he's like, are you a sinner? Then come to me. And Jesus, I don't know if Jesus did action points like I do, but if Jesus did an action point for the church of Laodicea, this would be, have been his action point, Revelation 3.19, be zealous and repent. So obviously, repentance is important to Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, or you're thinking about being a follower of Jesus, repentance ought to be important to you, too. So that's why we're talking about it today. But I understand that we may be tempted to think of repentance as a chore, as an obligation, as something that we have to do, but it's painful. It's, it's one of those stinky things you just got to do. But I hope that by the end of this sermon, we'll see that repentance is an important factor in connecting with God. And if you don't get anything else out of this, I hope that you hear that part, that repentance is an important factor in connecting with God. You want to connect with God? Repentance is a big part of what that looks like. For, for those of you who remember a couple of weeks ago, and even for those of you who don't, we talked about uh, humility and how humility is important in connecting with God. And humility is important to connect with God because we all have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. You know, we all kind of get a big head at times. And we think we're more important, or we're better than we really are, or we like to look down upon other people. That, that's just the truth of human nature in this fallen world. And we need to recognize that I need to recognize I am not God. Only God is God. I'm not and that's a humbling realization. And then I need to recognize, and you need to recognize, we are dependent upon God for everything. Contrary to what we may tell ourselves, we are not the master of our fate. We are not 
the captain of our own souls. We depend upon God for every breath. That breath you're breathing right now, that's God's air. And that's God's body that He made. And that's God's lungs that are still working. Everything is about God. Every heartbeat, every breath, every moment of every day is a gift from God. And rather than being puffed up with our own self-importance, we are called to humble ourselves before God and say, I need you. I need you every hour. Actually, I need you every minute, every second. And the good news of that humility we talked about a few weeks ago is that God promises that he is near to those who are humble. We saw this in Isaiah 66 too. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you hear that? This is the one on whom God looks with great favor. Those who are humble. Those who are contrite in spirit. They recognize, I've messed up, and I'm brokenhearted over that. And one who trembles at his word. We hear his word and we go, God, you are right in whatever judgment you bring against me. And if we're in that place, that is a good place to be. Because it's a humble place where we can look to God and we can go, I know you're near. And humility for a sinner will always present itself through repentance. Humility will always present itself in a sinner through repentance. So the real question, before we dive into Revelation 3, the real question we have to ask is, what is repentance? I think if I was to ask everybody in this room, everybody would have an answer how much of that answer would be what the scriptures actually say. So let's talk about that before we dive into Revelation 3. At its most basic level, and I'm talking basic, repentance involves changing our mind about sin. At its most basic level, repentance involves changing our mind about sin. See, some people, when they hear the word repentance, they think, oh, you're supposed to say you're sorry. And saying you're sorry is a good start, but it's not repentance itself. And we all know that. We've all been there when we have either said or, or been told, I'm sorry, but what we really mean by that is, I'm sorry I got caught. Right? We've all been there where we say, I'm sorry that you found out about what I did. I should have been more sneaky. I'm sorry that what I did hurt you. But I didn't do anything wrong. You're just too sensitive. Right? We've all been there. 
We, we say things like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry things turned out the way that they did. But if I had to do it all over again, I would still do it because it was worth it. And, and all kinds of I'm sorry variations that we've all told that shows that's not real repentance. That's just saying words. And then there are other people who are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not just saying you're sorry. It's changing your actions. Changing your actions is what repentance is really about. But I want you to hear that that's not repentance itself. It may be the fruit of repentance, but it's not repentance. You know how I know that? Because simply changing our outer actions can hide what's really going on inside. (laughs) Think about racism for a minute. We live in the South where racism was rampant at one time, and now nobody's a racist. Right? If you ask, are you a racist? Everybody's going to say, I'm not a racist. A person can change the outward fact that they've stopped using, that yeah, they've stopped using racial slurs. They, they can stop making jokes about race. They can seem nice to other people of different races, and yet that person can still have an attitude of superiority over another person because of the color of their skin. That person can still have an attitude of contempt for people who are of a different race. It's just hidden. And the reason it's hidden is because our society as a whole right now says repentance, uh, sorry, uh, racism is bad. Racism is bad. So you shouldn't be a racist. And everybody goes, okay, I shouldn't be a racist. But what if I am? Well, I've got to hide it now. And we do that with all kinds of sins. We know that people around us would not approve of what we're actually thinking, so we don't do it. But is that real repentance, or is that just hiding what's really going on inside? Repentance is not simply saying we're sorry, and it's not simply changing our actions, because we can change our actions without changing the inner thoughts and feelings and attitudes. No, repentance is always, first and foremost, a change in our mindset, a change of heart, a change in the way we think, a change of mind, and it will eventually lead to actions, but Our repentance starts with we change our mind. And what do we change our mind about? We change our mind about our sin. I I, I know, and I'm just being real here, I know that there was a time when I was a teenager that I came across some pornography. All right? And as a young male with testosterone just going nuts inside me, Yeah, I mean, that was something that I started paying more attention to. And every guy, almost every guy I've ever talked to, at least every guy who's honest, has said they've had some kind of experience with pornography. Now, if that surprises you, you're just not paying attention.
What changed me was I changed my mind about pornography because I started asking the question, how am I viewing this person? Am I viewing this person as an image of God? Or am I using them, or am I seeing them as something to be used, a thing to be used for my own gratification? And when I started thinking that way, it changed everything. Because now, when the temptation arises, I go, do I want to treat that person like a thing? Of course not. I don't want anything to do with that. And, and until, until we get to that point where we start seeing sin for what it really is, how nasty and dirty and ugly it is, we will not real, have real repentance. And, and I'm saying that as a hope that it will encourage us to see repentance as I'm changing my mind, I'm changing my attitude, I'm changing the heartfelt thoughts of what this thing is. I'm looking at sin and I'm going, you know what? I don't like that anymore. In fact, I hate it. That's what repentance is. Because when you get there, the actions will come. The fruit of repentance. And that leads us to the church of Laodicea. All of that is just intro. I know. This is a great sermon. Okay, and that leads us to what Jesus says about the church of Laodicea. Verse 14, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I'm going to pause here. Some of you may be reading that and going, the beginning of God's creation? I thought Jesus, the Son of God, always existed. He didn't have a beginning, so how is that the beginning? Real quick. It could mean that he is the one through whom creation came into being, and we see that in John 1. It could mean that because he is raised from the dead, he marks the beginning of the new creation that he, uh, God is bringing to the fallen world, and we see that throughout Scripture. Or this word could also be translated as ruler, and so it could mean he's the ruler over all creation. But however we translate it, however we think about it, it's saying that Jesus is the one who is over and who brought creation into being. All right, so the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the ruler of God's creation says, I know your works. I know what you're up to. I know what you've been doing. And you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Whoa. Those are some harsh words from gentle Jesus, right? What is Jesus getting at in this passage? It really does help for us to know a little bit of the history of Laodicea. Let's look at a map. For some of you, that's helpful. So Laodicea is there in the center, and you'll notice that there's a town above it called Heropolis. Heropolis was known for its hot springs, and they had a, a medicinal purpose. People would travel from hundreds of miles away to come and sit in those hot springs, hoping that they would get 
uh, some relief from their ailments. Over to the east of Laodicea is a town called Coloss. And Coloss was known, you can see it's there on a river, and it was known for its refreshing cold streams of water. And Laodicea is smack in the middle of them. And they did not have a great water supply. In fact, they had to pump their water through an aqueduct to get to Laodicea so they would have water. And as a result, Laodicea's water was always lukewarm. Always. Tepid water. And it was filled with minerals so that it was not good to drink without some treatment. And this is historically verified in various sources. If you want to know what those sources are, I'll be happy to tell you afterwards. So when Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, I know your works, they're neither cold nor hot, but I wish that they were either hot or cold, he's talking about their situation, where they are, what's been going on around them. He's saying, look, your works aren't hot like the Heropolis folks. They bring healing. They bring care to people. You, but your works aren't cold like the ones in Coloss. They bring refreshment. They bring nourishment through water. Cold, refreshing water that you can drink and enjoy. No, your works are tepid. Lukewarm. And just like the water that you're drinking in your town, your works are worth nothing except for the spit out. Wow. Your works aren't accomplishing anything. Your works are ineffectual because they're like your water. They're lukewarm. And why is this the case? Well, verse 17 tells us the real reason why their works are so lukewarm. For you say... Think about the attitude. Think about what we just said about how what repentance looks like. It's an attitude. It's a change of mind. But think about what they were thinking. I am rich and I've prospered. I need nothing. But you're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, Jesus isn't saying, church in Laodicea, you're not doing enough. You're not doing anything. You're not working. No, what he's saying is you're working, but you're doing so with an attitude of superiority. You think you're better. You think you don't need anything. You think you're rich and prosperous, but you're poor, you're pitiable, you're wretched. You think that you can see clearly, but I'm telling you, you are actually blind. You think that you're well clothed, but you've got the shame of nakedness all over you. Their attitude was one of, we've got this. Does that sound like anybody you know? I'd say many of us, many churches in America, we think we're rich and prosperous. We don't need anything. We think we can see clearly to speak into our culture. 
but we don't recognize how blind we actually are apart from the scriptures. We think we're well clothed, but the shame of the nakedness of our sin is all over us. Something else to consider, Laodicea was known for at least three things. Their banking industry, you're rich. Their black luxury garments, you're well clothed. And the salve that they put on their eyes as medicine. You think you can see, but you're blind. And so in verse 18, Jesus says, I counsel you not to get money from the bank, but to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you really may be rich. And you don't need those black garments that you make. You need white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And you need salve to anoint your own eyes. Not the salve that you make, but the salve that you get from me so that you may really see. Jesus is pointing out to them they cannot rely on themselves. He's saying, stop relying on yourself. Rely on me. Now, if you think, wow, that's harsh. Wow, that's hard to hear. Oh, man, am I convicted. Or whatever you may be thinking that's negative. Hear the good news. Hear it. Jesus explicitly says in this statement, in this passage, he explicitly says that he reproves and disciplines those he loves. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You know, I I don't know about you, but I am often tempted to think that the people who correct me, they don't love me. They just want to correct me. They just like to show that they're better than me. Sometimes I get this this image in my mind that the person who's coming to correct me, they're just thinking of me as that little child who can't do anything right. And I'm here to show you the way because I'm so awesome. Right? And, And sometimes I think, you don't care about me, you just care about being right. That's not Jesus, though. Jesus says, I love you. And I've proven that I've loved you by going to the cross to die for your sins. All those wrong things that you've done, I've already taken them on myself. And now I'm telling you, those things are wrong. Repent. Not because I'm trying to be better than you. I've already humbled myself to the point of death for you. Not to say, I'm lording this over you. Yes, I am your Lord, but I'm also your friend, your brother. Not so that I can put you in your place. Meaning, I'm going to put you in your place down below me, but so that I can put you in your place with me. Do you hear the difference in that? Jesus says, If I am rebuking you, if I'm reproving you, if I'm correcting you, it's because I love you. Don't miss that. 
That's good news. Jesus is not the one who's sitting there with his finger, wagging it and saying, you've been an evil, naughty little boy. He's saying, I love you. And what you're doing is hurting you. It's hurting other people. It's hurting me. You need to turn from that. You need to change your mind about your sins. And I don't know this for a fact, so I'm going to I'm going to hold on to this very loosely. But when Jesus says, "Your works are lukewarm," and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, I wonder if this verse is the antidote to that? Because we think of that as, oh, he's going to vomit me up and he wants nothing to do with me. But Jesus may be saying, look, if you don't change your mind, I'm going to spit you out. But that's a discipline because I love you. And maybe you need to be away from me for a while so that you'll recognize how much you really need me. But regardless, we do know that Jesus loves those whom he rebukes, who he reproves. And Jesus also promises profound connection. This gets us back to what I said at the very beginning... How do we connect with God? We connect through repentance. And this is why Jesus promises profound connection to those who repent. And I can't, I, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this verse for the first time in my life. All throughout my life, I've heard this as an evangelistic kind of message. You know, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he's saying, you know, you got to believe in me. Okay, that's cool. But Jesus is speaking to his church here. He's not speaking to the people outside the church. He's speaking to his church. And in that, he says, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. And what did Jesus just say? He just said, be zealous and repent. So if you open the door, what are you doing? You're repenting. You're changing your mind about your sin. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and repents and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. How many of you have ever invited your enemy into your home to share a meal? Anybody? I mean, the person that hates you the most, you just say, hey, can you come over and have a meal with me? I'd really like to have some fellowship with you. That doesn't happen, does it? No, who do you invite over? You usually invite friends or people that you want to be your friends or your family. And Jesus is saying, when you repent, when you open that door, I'm coming in and I'm going to eat with you. It's going to be fellowship city. It's going to be enjoyable meal. It's going to be great conversation. It's going to be close-knit 
friendship. Because your sin is keeping you from me. So change your mind about your sin and come to me, and I am there for you. I'm here, and we're going to enjoy one another. Doesn't that entice you to open that door of repentance and find Jesus connecting with you on such a deep level that you maybe never really experienced it before? And not only that, the profound connection keeps going in the next verse, verse 21. The one who conquers, that is the one who repents and comes to me, I will grant him (laughs) to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, my dad... Uh, in growing up, my dad had this lazy boy chair that was right in the center of the living room, right in front of the TV, so he could watch TV, where, and nobody could sit in his chair. Nobody. Anytime I tried to sit in that chair when he wasn't there, he would come and say, get up, boy, that's my chair. Every time. When I had kids of my own, and I brought the kids over, he changed his tune a little bit, He'd let those kids sit in his chair. Sometimes he'd have them sit with him in the chair. That's what Jesus is offering. Here's my throne. You repent, you come to me. Not only do I get to eat with you, you get to sit with me on the throne of the universe. And you get to see it all play out. You get to see what I see. You get to experience what I experience. And we're going to do it together. That is some good news for those of us who are sinners. That goes far beyond just forgiveness. That is, I don't don't want to just forgive you. I want to bring you in. And I want you to be right in the center of heaven with me. So that you can see all of my glory and you can experience it with me. Wow. So your action point for today, it's Jesus' action point, actually. (laughs) Be zealous and repent. Whatever your sin is, repent. Whatever your attitudes of sin are, repent. Change your mind about it. Look at it and go, you know what? This is nasty. This is ugly. I'd rather have Jesus. And for those of you, just just real quickly, for those of you who are thinking repentance is like that one-time thing, you know what I mean? You know, you go, oh, I'm repenting of my sin, I'm changing my mind about my sin, and I'm never going to do this again. Guess what's going to happen next week? Maybe even this afternoon. I love the fact that Martin Luther, the guy who uh, started the Protestant Reformation, started his 95 theses that he nailed to the church wall. He started with this statement. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. Not a one-time event. Day in, day out. I'm changing my mind about sin. I'm waking up this morning, I'm looking at my sin, and I'm going, I want to hate that. Holy Spirit, help me. I want to love you more, Jesus. Help me. 
I don't want to do this. I want to live for you. Help me. Every day, over and over again, no matter how long it takes, repentance is a lifelong event, not a one-time event. And Jesus is standing at the door and knocking right now and saying, will you enter into that repentance with me and then we'll feast together and you'll enjoy a seat on my throne. So, by the power of the Spirit, let's repent of our sins. Let's change your mind about it and experience more of a close connection with Christ. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, all of us have had ears to hear today. And not just ears to hear, but a heart that will be soft and receptive. Change our mind about sin. Change our mind about the glory and the wonder and the goodness of Jesus. That we'll leave our sin behind and we'll chase after Jesus for what he's really worth. Everything. And Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to tell us hard things. But loving us enough to not just tell us, but to do something about it. And to call us into sweet, sweet fellowship with you. Grow us all in that, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.